Hello, listeners. Before diving into today's episode, I wanted to share a few ways you can go deeper with the ideas I talk about in this podcast and support my work. The first is my book, The Pathless Path, which many of you have probably already heard about, but if you haven't purchased it already, I really think you'll love it. The second is The Pathless Path Community, which I just opened up as a one-time pay-what-feels-right access fee. And in that group, you can meet hundreds of other people from around the world on unconventional paths like me. Finally, I'm working on a second book tentatively called Good Work, which is going to explore my deeper relationship with work and how that led to a lot of the transformations in my life. You can follow along in my newsletter, Pathless, which you can also find a link to that in the show notes if you want to learn more about that. Without further ado, let's dive into the show. Welcome to the Boundless Podcast, exploring the human side of work. I'm your host, Paul Millard, and I'm fascinated with how we can imagine past the default path to do things that matter. I have conversations with entrepreneurs, freelancers, and thinkers who are questioning the role of work in our lives who are thinking about how we can unlock creative potential in ourselves and organizations and are carving new paths in the world to create a more human future of work. If you want to support the podcast, check out the Patreon link in the show notes. And for more information, go to BoundlessPod.com. Here with good friend Irvin Ling. And in Taipei today, this is a live podcast, first one ever with food, Uh, but we'll be eating the first part, so we'll be eating some local great Taiwanese food. I might attempt some Chinese sayings. We also have a cat that is around. There's a video if you want to follow along, and uh, we'll be diving into Irv's story, much like me, quit his corporate job when he was 30 traveled the world for a year, uh, has been living in Taiwan for the last year plus, mm-hmm. and now teaching English, and we'll talk a bit about uh, how he's reinvented himself here. So, welcome to the podcaster. Thank you, Paul. <laughs> Great to have you here in Taipei. Awesome. So, what uh, what are we eating here? Well, here we just have some uh, dumplings, a lot of dumplings. And we have some dry noodles and some vegetables. So this is a basic uh, Taiwanese lunch. It's very quick and it's very cheap. Um, this big spread here costs us about seven, eight dollars combined, right? Combined, combined. Um, so. Three fifty each. Right. This Not is bad. a pretty well balanced meal, I would say, and very delicious. Awesome. So what? So I've I've been learning some Chinese. Okay. Uh, we have fried dumpling here. Right. These are the pot stickers. So this would be guatie. 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 Awesome. And, and don't this. don't take my Mandarin <laughs> as the elite because I'm learning as well. Awesome. So this is uh, steamed dumpling with these are the boiled boiled jiaozu. Uh, boiled are sui jiao. Sui jiao. Hmm. Jiao zu is steamed. Jiao zu is just an overall term for dumpling. Oh, all right. Okay. Nice. And then uh, noodles, mian? Mian. Mm-hmm. Awesome. 
And then you can just call this tai, as an overall term for vegetables, or su tai. Alright? Awesome. How so, is it? <laughs> pretty good. So we're going to try and attempt to ask Herb some questions while we're eating. We're, um, we're definitely, hungry. Definitely so. an experiment. The cat is in the picture now. That's Haichu. Haichu. You quit your job, traveled the world for a year, but I've talked to many people and I'm not sure anyone has been as methodical as you were in planning your leap. You did not just decide I'm going to leave in a couple months. You decided, I think it was over a year ahead of time, right? A, a year and a half, actually. So w what was the moment when you were like, okay, I need to make a uh, leap? Um, well, it was, it was actually a very... Uh, very exciting weekend and day that I planned to kind of take this leap. I was in Dallas, Texas um, for the 2014 Final Four, the National Championship, men's basketball, and my alma mater, University of Connecticut Huskies. So why you wear the shirt? That's exactly why. And it's the only UConn thing I have here in Taipei. Um, so they were playing in the national championship. Uh, I was down there for the weekend and uh, just trying to enjoy the weekend with my friends, the atmosphere, all the festivities. And I was also, you know, it was just a, a weekend where I had to work as well. Uh, Never fun. Of course not, right? <laughs> Who wants to work on the weekend? But I understood that, you know, there needed to be uh, things done for, for my job, their responsibilities. So, you know, during that time, you know, in the mornings, I would wake up early, go down the lobby, do what I had to do, send the emails. Um, but then, you know, it came to a point where, you know, I saw that my friends, they were on college game day. I saw them in the background. Or, oh, uh, man, that yeah. sucks. And, you know, I was in the lobby uh, doing, doing my work. Um, so, but it wasn't that exact moment where I said, okay, let's, let's you know, drop everything and, and go around the world or do something crazy. It was probably right as I was walking into the, the final game, UConn versus Kentucky. Um, I, you know, after a few beers <laughs> and uh, some tailgating, you know, I threw it out there to my group of friends that I was with. If UConn wins the national championship, I'm going to quit my job. Oh, my God. So... I didn't know about the stipulation. <laughs> well, it was kind of a joke, obviously, but yeah. after UConn had won and, you know, the, the whole, all the emotions of the game and, uh, and having the result that we all wanted, wow. I said, why not, you know, when we were in an eight seed? <laughs> I, yeah, I think we, we were definitely an underdog that year. Eight. Was Actually, pretty... I think it was a seven seed. Because they beat Villanova, who was a two seed, nice. round two. So, yeah. So, let, let's back up a bit. So, okay. you grew up in Connecticut like me. Uh, we met in college over 15 years ago. I think both of us were, I guess, what you would call like high achievers, good at tests, good at school, good at getting grades. I um, love tests. <laughs> and you, uh, you took a path to be an actuary, took a number of tests. Um, I think there's eight tests you pass, and that's kind of like your progression through your career. Mm -hmm. um, 
So looking back on like all of that you did, you always had the next test, the next like bump in your career, your salary. Um, do you do you wish you had taken a different path, or are you grateful for kind of going through that? Uh, I'm, I'm certainly grateful for all the opportunities that I was given. Um, you know, I have my family is from is from China. Uh, they grew up in communist era, and now you know I kind of see the the differences that growing up in China compared to the U.S. Uh, yeah. And there's certainly a lot of differences. So I'm certainly grateful for the opportunities I had to be able to go to UConn, get my degree, get a good job. And um, the the process of it, it was pretty structured in my mind. I kind of had it all, I wouldn't say exactly planned out, but I knew that you know I wanted to go to college, get uh, a degree that would allow me to find a good job and hopefully make some money and you know all the other steps along the line which may or may not include getting a house getting a family things like that yeah i think i i don't know if this resonates i mean when i was growing up you there's kind of just an assumption that those things would happen and there's a path Sorry. everything is easy path for you when you're uh younger with school you just go to the next grade the next year um but you don't really know how it's going to happen. You just assume that is the path. Right, right. And growing up in a fairly non-traditional, I would say, suburbia, suburban Connecticut home. I had a single mom. Um, so I, I saw how hard she had worked. And I knew that, you know, kind of part of the Chinese culture is you take care of your old elders, you know, as they grow older. So that means you got to make sure... You can take care of them, right? And that would be that would be money. <laughs> yeah. Um, but in, interesting, I think, like most in American culture, money has become a way to like pay other people to take care of your family now. That's true. Yeah, uh, but it's still not that way in 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 China or in Asia in general. Yeah. Um, my mom actually plans to go back to China when she retires, um, and buy a house there and kind of live in America and China as well. Awesome. So UConn won the finals game. Mm -hmm. You decided you were seriously going to do this. Like, was there a waiting period before you started planning for the trip? Well, first I wanted to figure out exactly what I wanted to do or, you know, if I was going to travel, how long, where I wanted to travel, if I was going to, you know, pursue some other path, you know, there's definitely some point of a portion of research and, and making sure that, you know, I was able to do it both financially, uh, probably not physically, but a little bit mentally. Yeah. I mean, it is a big leap coming, you know, from nine to five, eight to seven, in some cases, eight to eight, yeah. um, to kind of living on the road or just doing something non-traditional. Awesome. So you planned the trip, you, you started making preparations. Um, how did just the mindset shift of knowing you were going on this trip change your behavior in the short term, even though you're still working? Did it kind of reframe your relationship with like money and how you're spending your time? Oh, with money, certainly. I knew I had to save money. Um, and I knew that 
there were some expenses in my life that probably, you know, I certainly don't need within the next year or so before I left. Um, and just kind of how I dealt with uh, my relationships as well, um, with my friends and my and my job, of course, and um, and how I would bring this up to my my parents, my mom. Yeah. yeah so, telling your mom, were you scared of doing that? Mm, I wouldn't say scared. I would. I was a little apprehensive in terms of how she would react. Um, and I think from her perspective, I don't think she actually knew what was going on. I don't think she's ever heard of anybody doing anything she's like this. She's not on Instagram? No. <laughs> yeah, she doesn't follow all the, the travel bloggers. Right. And um, so, you know, I talked about it with her afterwards. She kind of thought it was, it was a phase. You know, that I would, you know, go out, have fun, do what I had to do, but then I would get back to maybe not the corporate life, but something to progress uh, my life going forward, whether it was getting another full-time job, starting a business, um, doing something that would make me financially stable. Right. So traveling the world for a year, you so you documented this as any good actuary would do down to like day by day meal by meal expenses and you were living in Chicago and your trip was actually cheaper to live uh, than you were spending in Chicago did that surprise you that it was cheaper or is that something you expected researching and going in I don't think it surprised me that it was cheaper um, but that's also kind of how I like to travel and live you know, I don't need to stay in hotels yeah, um, and eat fancy dinners, things like that. Um, but also, I'm, I'm a pretty frugal person overall. Uh, but that didn't stop me from, you know, just living life to the fullest when I was, you know, in these exotic, exotic places. Um, the big difference I saw was just n figuring out what I needed yeah, and what I what were excessive. Yeah. Did you overpack at the beginning? Certainly. Yeah. Did After you... the first stop, I probably dropped maybe a, a quarter of what I brought. I donated. <laughs> That's awesome. So what, what, uh, what were the, some of the things that you think you didn't actually need when you were traveling? Um, and people might have a different yeah. thought about this is a lot of the clothes. Yeah. Um, you can always buy new stuff. I ended up buying a bunch of t-shirts and socks and underwear and things like that. Um, and you can look at it as kind of wasteful, but it's more about, you know, what are necessary expenses? Um, you know, mm -hmm. you need lodging, food, yeah. um, general security. But uh, overall, it was, you know, I think the biggest thing I spent my money on was the travel insurance for the year oh wow um which so, I, like the single biggest expense yeah so how much did your trip cost it was around twenty four thousand. Uh, i think it was actually i have to go back to the, to the spreadsheet <laughs> my wonderful spreadsheets um i think it was somewhere around there I, it could actually it could be twenty four thousand, twenty five thousand, or 
35,000. Yeah, that's, it was, it was that's, still pre- that's still pretty good. Um, Apparently. And, you know, there was a lot of expenses. I had to get a new iPhone because I dropped mine in the ocean. <laughs> um, which, actually, the travel insurance paid for. Oh, wow. So, <laughs> good purchase. Nice. Uh, so, wh- what do you think holds people back from uh, doing things like this? Uh, just most, I think, just the unknown. Uh, they're not exactly sure what's out there, uh, and it doesn't have to be travel. It could be anything that somebody wants to pursue, um, but afraid because of you know the financial insecurity. Um, whether I think safety might be a concern to yeah, some people. Yeah, for sure. Um, depending on kind of where you travel, who you're with. Uh, of course, traveling alone is is certainly different than traveling with a group of friends. Um, and other than that, I think, like I said, just the unknown. They're not sure what's going what's gonna to happen. Um, but that, you know, that's life. We can yeah. get hit by a bus tomorrow, and that would be it. So what were the unexpected things when you were traveling? Did you come face-to-face with that uncertainty and try to figure out, okay, what actually am I doing? Uh, it, it's a pretty big shift from moving from the workforce to just kind of traveling, right? Mm-hmm. At first, it's probably really fun. You're probably trying to meet everyone, but then you're probably settling more into a rhythm. You're grappling with, I think a lot of people have uh, talked about loneliness when they're traveling. Um, you're kind of around a lot of people, but not truly connected or like mm-hmm. building those friendships. So how did you grapple with some of those things? I think the big thing is to be flexible and certainly open-minded. And, you know, people say this all the time, go with your gut. Um, and, you know, you can say no. Yeah. You don't have to say yes to kind of every event, every pub crawl, every, (laughs) you know, everything that's going on. Um, I certainly took a lot of kind of me days where I just sat in the hostel or went to a park and read or listened to a podcast, just kind of chill. Um, but other than that, it was more kind of deciding who I wanted to spend my time with. Yeah. Um, there's a lot of different kinds of travelers. Um, and that's part of kind of being flexible. I was the kind of person where, yeah, I can go to, like I said, a pub crawl with these young 20-year-olds that just, you know, just want to drink and have fun. Um, but I also, you know, I met a monk. I met artists and went to museums. Um, so, so let's talk about the monk. That sounds interesting. Okay. What, what was that like? Where did this happen? What was the... Uh... Um, this was in Buenos Aires in Argentina. He was a, a Hare Krishna monk. And he was kind of in between stays at a monetary. So he was just um, kind of like me, just traveling around, um, but in a different kind of, certainly a different way. Yeah. Um, he, we went to uh, a really nice vegetarian dinner um, at a Chinese restaurant in Buenos Aires, Argentina, which is nice. a little strange, but um, I certainly enjoyed it. 
Um, but, you know, we, we kind of hung out for a few days, but, you know, I had to go on and he had to go his own separate way. But it's just one of those connections that, that you'll remember, but it's, it's up to you to decide, okay, is this something that was worthwhile? Yeah. Um, certainly I've had plenty of other conversations that, you know, that might've just forgotten. doesn't mean they weren't worthwhile. Uh, it was just, uh, you know, maybe not memorable, but it doesn't really take away from who that, who that person is because they're going to have the same kind of connections with other people. So at what point in this trip were you starting to visualize or see the end of the trip and thinking, oh boy, I have to, uh, I have to come up with what I'm going to do next. Like I either in your head, you can't mm -hmm. do this forever or it's, uh, about finding what is the, the path forward. Right. When did that start creeping in? Uh, so I, kind of had a vague plan of what I was going to do when I finished the trip and it was an around the world trip so by the time I got to Europe the only one direction I you know could have gone was back to the United States yeah um, but even before that I had decided that um, I wanted to learn Mandarin uh, I wasn't sure exactly what level I wanted. Obviously, it would be great to be fluent. Um, but because my family mostly speaks Mandarin, uh, I wanted to have a, a better way of communicating with them. Um, my Mandarin was not was not up to par. Let's yeah, say. they speak a different dialect at home too. Right? That that too. <clears throat> but you know, everybody in China speaks Mandarin. Yeah. Um, so there were two places that you know, I could potentially move to, to kind of immerse myself. And that was China or Taiwan. Um, so China was the obvious choice. I have family there. Uh, it's, that's, you know, the biggest country, the, you know, Shanghai, Beijing, where a lot of, there are a lot of foreigners as well. There's a lot of people that go there to work. Um, but after visiting Taiwan, I was here for a week during that trip. Uh, I, I kind of felt that, you know, I was a little more comfortable here. Uh, it's it's definitely uh, a pretty good lifestyle. Yeah. What would you say? Well, I love it. <laughs> he loves it here. Uh, so, but during your trip, you also went to China, right? Mm -hmm. And you spent, um, you visited some family. Mm -hmm. And uh, I think, what was it, one month, two months? In China, it was one month total. It was two separate, two week. Stints. And what was that like? I mean, was that the, that's the longest stretch in, in since you had moved from China when you were very young mm -hmm. um, that you were in China, right? Uh, I actually visited every four or five years when I was going yeah. through school. Uh, and it was usually for a couple of weeks yeah. to see family. Um, you know, it was it was fair. It was pretty similar to those other trips. You know, they the Chinese family, they, they love to feed you and take care of you, take you to see the, the Chinese doctor, Eastern medicine. Um, and, you know, they were, they were just happy to see me. And I was entirely grateful to them because um, they, my grandmother who lives in China did raise me to, till I was five years old. Yeah. Um, 
So I do have a, a very close connection with them, even though you know there are some communication issues. Mm-hmm. That's awesome. So um, during that time, you're getting better at Chinese. You're also had you been to Taiwan at that point when you were in China? I had not. Okay, mm-hmm. so you're thinking maybe I'll still go to China, but then you ended up going to Taiwan. Um, so when when you're here, you were also thinking, okay, maybe after my trip, I go back to the U.S. for a bit, but then I'd spend some time learning uh, Mandarin a little deeper. Right, right. I would come here. The plan was to come here, um, find a job teaching English, and the reason I chose that was I think it's the easiest job to to find as a as a foreigner, right, um, in in an Asian country. Um, so so yeah, that's that was the plan. So was there, when you started your trip, did you ever think, okay, I'll just go back to the corporate world or the business world? Or like when you, when you walked out that door, that final day, it was mm-hmm. September, 2015, mm-hmm. 2015, October 1st, actually. Like th- in your head, were you like, this is, I'm never coming to one of these office buildings again. I mean, who knows? Life is long, right? Yeah. But, that, mm-hmm. yeah, that was probably the first thing I was thinking about. <laughs> Goodbye forever. Wow. Um, okay, so y- now you're living in Taiwan. Uh, you've kind of reinvented your life. Um, are you happy with this reinvention? Like, w- what have you found on the other side of like recreating a new life for yourself? Um, I don't certainly even happy. You, I don't even know if you would use such bold terms. I was certainly, ha- I'm certainly happy. I, I think I found contentment in. And not only life, but kind of where, what I see life in the future. Um, I realize that you don't need a lot to to be happy. Yeah. Um, you know, I am uh, here lucky enough to have a job um, that pays pretty well compared to, to the locals. Um, and... Uh, I find it fulfilling for for the most part. Yeah. Um, I'm not working. I'm not overly working. I would say probably under 20 hours a week. Um, paid work. Paid. paid. Yeah. Um, but also I'm doing, you know, other things that kind of I'm interested in. Things that I probably didn't have time for before. Yeah. Um, like what? For uh, photography. You know, we certainly had discussions on uh, our cameras and kind of how to edit and these new tools and diving into all these YouTube videos. Um, you know, there's also, I'm trying to, uh, figure out other ways to like you do things that, um, that to make money, but, um, not having to go through that whole structured process. Now that's not to say I don't want to go back to kind of the nine to five, um, I think it's probably more of the, the work. Right. You know, how fulfilling it is, you know, how it's helping people, things like that. What are the types of uh, students you're teaching English? Um, so I've taught, over the past year and a half, I've taught people aged uh, from five to 55. Yeah. Um, so, at one, at my first first job, it was mostly 
young professionals and um, people that wanted to improve their English for either for work, to travel, or they had uh, some uh, proficiency tests that they had to take to, to get a job or to um, kind of go take the next step in, in, in their studies and their career. Uh, what I'm doing now is I'm teaching elementary school students um, up to junior high as well. Uh, and for that, it's, it's totally different. You know, it's, it's more structured, uh, it's a lot of phonics, making sure the pronunciation is correct. Um, but for me, I've also learned a lot from my students. Yeah, I um, bet. I kind of see, you know, the things that they have to go through to, to do well in school here and, and also after school, you know, in their work when they're, um, you know, they have to learn English at a, at a late age, kind of like what I'm doing with Chinese. Um, so I definitely, there's a lot of, um, I wouldn't say empathy, but, yeah. you know, I see where they're coming from a lot and I kind of resonate a lot with, you know, the, the things that they're going through. Yeah, have you noticed anything about the language as you, so you, you kind of knew Chinese, mm. uh, but better than most most people. Um, you are pretty much a, I mean, you're a native English speaker. Right. Um, what have you noticed, like, differences of the languages as you've gone from, like, Chinese to English back to Chinese? Um, anything that's, like, made you have like oh wow this is kind of crazy how different people communicate um i think every language is is just so unique yeah that i think every day has a new there's something new that you learn uh so you had that podcast talking about different sounds that people make yeah uh, i just saw something on youtube the other day where uh, Taiwanese people, they speak a lot differently than mainland China right. based on some of the tones and different ways they, they make up words and things like that. Um, between English and Chinese, uh, I think mm, the biggest thing is probably the gender yeah. aspect. People tend to mix up he and she all the time. And in Chinese. In Chinese, yeah. because they don't have gender-specific uh, sounds. And uh, he or she is just ta? Mm-hmm. Ta. Got it. Right. It's written differently, so you'd be able to tell when you read it, but uh, when somebody says it, uh, it's, it's ambiguous. Oh, wow. That must make it really uh, confusing when people are talking about uh, new friends or new uh, relationships when they're yeah. <laughs> talking about them. Certainly. <laughs> Interesting. So... I keep uh, asking you questions and you're, tr you're trying to eat, but uh, that's fine. <laughs> try to uh, lengthen the question a bit. But uh, so you're, I mean, you grew up in China very young. You don't really have a lot of memories of it. Mostly grew up in the U.S., had your Chinese culture at home, probably very similar to like my culture as soon as you lost, or our culture as Connecticut residents mm -hmm. uh, as you left the house. And now traveling the world and living back in Taiwan, like how have you thought about like your cultural identity and like how you think of like home and like the place in the world? 
big question. Yeah, home is an interesting word. Uh, I've always thought of Connecticut as home, actually. Yeah. Um, and I, I still kind of do, um, because that's the the place that kind of shaped me the most. I mean, that's mo- that's where I spent most of my life. Right. So that would make sense. Um, but I think home right now is is uh, the place where where I'm happy and I'm comfortable, and uh, you know I'm thousands and thousands of ways miles away from my quote-unquote comfort group and comfort zone um and that but that was five years ago and i found myself kind of taking that comfort with me wherever i go um so it's a mobile home awesome (laughs) i like a tiny house yeah tiny house (laughs) on wheels uh yeah and then like how have you thought about culture um just as like being chinese growing up in america and now being Chinese, but also being a Westerner and living right. in Taiwan. Right. Yeah, it's, uh, it's interesting because uh, when I first got here, people, uh, they were surprised that I didn't speak Chinese because I am, <laughs> well, I have the, they say I have an Asian face, right? The Asian face, so, uh, which I do, There's obviously. like a fr- phrase for that? Um, they just say you look like you're, you should be able to speak Chinese, yeah. essentially. Um, <laughs> But then I grew a beard, and then they, they kind of left me alone. <laughs> um, so I think it's, uh, I try not to take some of the comments, uh, and, th- and they're not meant to be offensive, Yeah. Um, but it's, it's more demoralizing a little bit, where um, I kind of feel like I should be able to fit in in a certain, in a certain uh, way. Okay. Um, but... I'm happy that, you know, I can, I have these different identities, you know, one with my friends, one with my family, one with my girlfriend. Um, I I think it's, it's good to, you know, have these different, uh, these faces, these different hats to borrow a corporate term. Yeah, that's different. That's interesting in Taiwan. I think, I mean, if I walk anywhere in Taiwan, I'm clearly like the, the white guy. Mm-hmm. And they're just like, are you from Britain, Australia, or America? Right. Um, and with you, they might be expecting one thing, and then you might be struggling with the language a bit. And they'll be like, what the heck? What are you doing? Yeah. And uh, <clears throat> you, you get used to it. I think yeah. in every any place, you know, if you've been there a while, um if you're here for years and years, you're still going to get those looks. I'm talking about you. Yeah. Um, right. But, um, yeah, it's, it's something that I think people should expect, but also it's, it's interesting. It's certainly interesting to experience for the first time. Yeah. So, uh, what, what might you tell someone that's like sitting, maybe they're sitting at their desk right now as a uh, lovely subscriber to this podcast and uh, kind of saying, well, cool. well, this is great. Like he didn't have any responsibilities. He can do this. Uh, what would you say to somebody that to kind of encourage them, especially someone that might be a little more risk averse? I think mm-hmm. you're definitely somebody that I would describe as risk averse, but also like willing to go on adventures. Like what would you, what advice or things you've learned might you share? Uh, I think 
the biggest one is just try to prioritize what what, what you value in life. Um, if it's family, then figure out ways to spend more time with them. If it's, um, you know, if you love working on cars, find a way to incorporate that more into, into your life. I'm not saying everybody should quit their job <laughs> and, you know, do whatever, but, um, you know, if it's, if it's food, find more time to cook or find more time to eat yet. I mean, I always find time to eat regardless <laughs> of where and when. Um, so kind of, I mean, it doesn't take too long to, to figure out what's important to you. Right. Um, and even if it's, if you love your job, then keep doing your job. Yeah. Um, it's more about, you know, what makes you content, what makes you happy. Reflecting on work. I have this phrase I call, uh, the human side of work. I think it's much more than just work. It's about kind of unlocking creative potential, uh, kind of being who we are, kind of unleashing our curiosity, um, and just connecting more deeply with people. What does the phrase uh, human at work mean for you? Uh, so I think it's these, these stories, uh, learning about kind of the backgrounds of these people. Uh, I've listened to most of your podcasts, yeah, and I, I just love listening, to hearing kind of where people come from, how they got to where they are. Um, you know, everybody is different in their own unique way, and that's kind of what needs to be. I think what needs to be more incorporated more into work, whether you're in an office, on a construction site, you know, in a kitchen somewhere. I think if people get to the human level learning about people, learning these stories, then um, I think everybody will just enjoy life a little more. I love it. Connecting with uh, more people who, who might be like you. I think a lot of people have told me either they listen to a podcast or they even talk to me and it's like, oh, it's so great just to meet someone that shares similar ideas. Mm -hmm. And I think it's such a great time for that um, and such an opportunity just for like organizations uh, and people to really be who they are and uh, connect with those different people. It's a good uh, part to close on. I uh, appreciate uh, you sharing your story and, uh, as always, being my food guide to mm -hmm. uh, Taipei. Glad to be here. Thank you, Paul. Thank you for listening to the Boundless Podcast. If you have feedback, guest suggestions, or ideas I should explore, I'd really love to hear from you. One of the best things about this journey I've been on is connecting with all the people from around the world who are resonating with some of the ideas, some crazy, some better, some worse, uh, that I'm putting out into the world. Uh, you can email me at paul at think-boundless.com or find me on the various socials, which I link in my site. So I'm focused on keeping this podcast ad-free, uh, clear of requests for ratings on various platforms. Basically, just want to keep it useful, interesting, and worth listening to. Uh, you guys hear enough about different underwear and sleep mattresses that people are pushing. I mean, how many mattresses can uh, people sell? It's unbelievable. Um, anyway, if you do want to support this podcast and uh, support this crazy journey I'm on, uh, you can do that on Patreon through the show notes link. 
And this is just so much fun. And I really thank you for listening and the continued feedback and support. Hey, all. Thanks for listening to the episode. I really appreciate the support and especially always love when people reach out letting me know what they think about the specific episodes. If you want to go deeper into Pathless Path World, you can, of course, check out my book. It's sold it's going to hit 50,000 soon. I think by the time you're hearing this, it will probably have already sold 50,000, which is mind-blowing. But I continue all the support of people that buy and share the book. If you want to meet others on Pathless Paths, I have a community, which you can find at pathlesspath.com membership. And you can join and meet hundreds of others around the world trying to make sense of weird paths and meeting others along the way. Thank you so much for listening. Hope you have a good day.